You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, it's your host, Lurk. We at LambGoat.com just want to give a big thanks and shout out to everyone who's checked out the podcast thus far and all the support we've gotten. If you're listening to us on a platform that you can rate and review the show, we ask that you please do so. It greatly helps us out. Be sure to check out LambGoat.com, but also follow our socials. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at LambGoat, and you can also find us on Facebook. And if you already didn't know, you can check out all these podcasts in video format on our YouTube channel, as well as other content. And speaking of other content, Lamgoat would like to introduce the Van Flip Patreon. If you've enjoyed the show and you would like to continue supporting the Van Flip Podcast, for just $5 a month, you can be a Patreon supporter. Not only will you help be improving the podcast and helping it grow, but Patreon supporters also get early access to episodes, bonus episodes, exclusive content, Lamgoat swag, and much more. To become a Patreon supporter, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash the van flip. If you would like to become a sponsor of the van flip, drop us a line at info at lambgoat.com. This week's guest is old school hardcore kid and host of the No Jumper podcast, Adam22. Oh yeah, what's this? Oh yeah, this is good stuff. Oh no, oh, Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Van Flip. Uh, today it is the second coolest podcast in the world. Uh, that's because we have a guest, uh, our guest Adam Twenty Two, who is uh, you had you did the Come Up BMX website, uh-huh. turned that into Awesome Shit, yep. which is a store in uh, now Melrose, yep. and you are also the host of the Underground Rap Phenomenal. Our phenomenon podcast, No Jumper. Yeah, that's that's about accurate. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Excellent. Pretty good, actually. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on the podcast. That's uh, awesome that that you've uh, agreed and reached out. Obviously, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, we gotta we gotta support the local hardcore arts. So yeah, happy to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird how it all worked out too. You were. Uh, in Miami this week and you know just yeah. so happy we try to do these in person much like you do probably yeah I'm trying I'm just doing like uh interviews for this company audio mac behind the scenes at the fest which is kind of weird because you have like music from all the stages blasting you in the ears and then you have to try to like scream conversations into people's ears but I'm like just barely making it work so yeah, yeah I saw that I saw you on your IG story doing that and right. I thought the same thing I was like that must be weird just to have like all the uh, the other ambient noise around super strange experience especially when they're like talking and, and you can't tell what they're saying and also like yesterday they were like oh we think we can get chief keith to do it it was like the, the most mumbling ass like low talking person and i'm just like oh my god there's i'm i'm i was like yes let's do it but i was also envisioning the worst interview ever where i couldn't understand anything he was saying so mm-hmm. yeah so how has rolling loud been going this weekend because that's why you're here in town but we've also heard some things on the internet um yeah i mean from my perspective it's been going pretty good it's like good vibes everything's pretty fun it's like almost impossible to get backstage even for us like we're working there it's like just like a huge pain in the ass every day to get back there but then uh i don't know they arrested lil wayne and uh and kodak and shit but i mean from my perspective uh, lil wayne wasn't good. arrested was he 
Oh, you're right. He wasn't arrested. Okay. But if they if he had let them search him, he probably would have been arrested. So uh, <laughs> no I think doubt. That, that was no the doubt. issue, yeah. So I guess we'll just kick it off with... Uh, I want to kind of start it off with the Nordwar, Nordwar thing. You met Nordwar? Yeah. Uh, and he also gifted you a Chromags vinyl. He did. He gave me like a rare Chromags album or some shit. I, I, I didn't actually... I had it in my possession for like five minutes, and then I ended up losing it in a van, which is like really insulting for him. But at the same time, I mean... <laughs> Let me be honest with you, Chromax is not like the most on topic record that you could give me from my time spent listening to hardcore. So I was, I, I don't know exactly who told him that Chromax was a good record to give me, but I mean, yeah. It's interesting it to find out how he all gets his information. I'd like to know that. He had a like notebook that he just kept looking down at like super rapidly while you were talking, like to, to get new questions. And he asked me about Lamb Goat. Oh, really? Yes. By name. He said like, I heard you used to be on Lamb Goat. I'm like, to a certain extent, yeah, but I, I didn't really like post on Lambo. I post on Bridge Nine. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, that was one of Alex's questions. We'll get into. <laughs> yeah, but he was just all asking me about Lambo. What do you think of Lambo? I'm like, holy shit! I'm really well, hey, put on the spot. Hook here. it up if you know. We'll we'll be down. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually like going to come out. To be totally honest, because he also asked me about a computer science class that like really influenced me and i was just like no that didn't happen i don't know what you're talking about i never took a computer science class dude ever it was if it was school it probably wasn't you know something for me at least i wasn't super into it as much when i was younger i have no idea what he's talking about but i mean and the, the crazy thing about nardwar is just that he is fucking geeked up like he just did not stop moving around super is fast. that him 24 7 or just on camera well his producer lady she told us that that is him 24 7 and that he's always like that and yeah, it seemed as if it was that. My my friend Chris talked to him about like camera settings for like five minutes, so he has like a weird perspective on Nardwar's technical ability as well. Interesting. Yeah, he's a crazy Canadian guy, you know. This is true. Well, now that that's bridged it over to Landgoat and you know hardcore in general, right? Um, so how long have you been going to or you know visiting Lambgoat? I mean, you know, I guess I do still check in on it from time to time just because it's not really that many, like, good com comprehensive, like, hardcore metal, like, news sites. And even though I'm not a huge uh, consumer of the music, I feel the need to keep up on uh, the media side of things for, like, everything I've ever been interested in my entire life. So, you know, I still, I still wander on over there once in a while. Yeah, that's how, I, I mean... I was super into hardcore and metal when I was like in school. And then when I got out of school, I got into like music production and all this, that, the other. So I kind of went like the, I hate saying EDM route, but like house music and all that mm. other shit. So I went that route. But then in the last couple of years, you know, it just draws me back in. So now I'm in it full fledged and now we're doing this, obviously, but That's which is know. a funny story how I even am sitting here because it has to do with you. Ooh, let's hear it. <laughs> um, I guess a couple months ago, you tweeted out, like, what are some hardcore bands you want on No Jumper? Right. And I think Alex reached out or tweeted you or something like that about your, like, who to have on, this uh -huh. and the other. And, um, I replied to the tweet to both of you and I was like, Hey, where's the Lamb Goat podcast at? And then that opened up the door for me and him to talk for endless amount of time. And then we finally. Wow. That's actually sick as hell. Yeah. Holy and shit. when we started it, I was like, dude, we have to have Adam on, but we didn't wow. think it'd be near as soon as the seventh one you know what i'm saying <laughs> oh, so. shit. wow that's amazing though actually that's that's super cool yeah like i was in the club last night in this fucking monster security well i don't know if he's security but he'd look like he's if he's not beating somebody up for a living he should be but like some dude just massive dude just came over and basically more or less just gave me the same version of the same story like you're the reason i started a podcast i'm like looking at him like holy shit you have to be one of the biggest human beings who ever has started a podcast but is it about weightlifting and beating people up i don't know but i mean Hopefully, hopefully it touches on that. <laughs> so, 
You've been posting on the nine, the Bridge Nine message board. Well, are you used to? I used to, yeah, from probably maybe the age of like nineteen to like twenty three. I'm at some point, I just had to leave it behind. I don't know if it was like a conscious decision or not, but yeah, that was a big part of my uh, hardcore education, I guess you could say. So, how was it like? Because uh, you grew up in New Hampshire, but you also lived elsewhere after that, right? You lived in New York a little bit. And- yeah, I lived in New Hampshire until I was like nineteen, and I went to college for one year, and then Lowell, Massachusetts. I went to UMass Lowell, and then right after that, I just dropped out and moved to Queens at first, and I lived in. Brooklyn, Queens for like seven years. And then in 2010, I moved to, uh, Long Beach and I've been in like Long Beach, LA, all over the place over there ever since. So yeah, but my, like my primary like time spent going to hardcore shows was definitely when I was younger. Like when I went to like from like the age of maybe like 14 to like 21, I guess was when I was actually really going to a lot of shows. I still do those sometimes, but oh, that's what I was, yeah. when incendiary is in town, I'll go to their shows. That's about it. Just that one. Well, primarily, that's like, like, that's the, the dude, right Brendan, now. the singer of Incendiary, I lived with him for a long time in Brooklyn, and, uh, we just, like, maintained, like, a really strong friendship, so, like, but, you know, that was always the weird thing about it, is when I was, like, going to shows in New Hampshire, I always felt like I just, like, then I moved to New York, and I didn't have any friends that were going to hardcore shows, and all of a sudden, I had, like, almost no desire to go to hardcore shows, but when I lived in New Hampshire, and I knew a shitload of people, and I felt like I really had, like, a strong friend group going there, that's when I was, like, super excited about, like, just going to shows every weekend. So what's the scene like in New Hampshire? I mean, I've been there like for a couple of days, but it didn't seem like, um, you know, it just seems like more rural than anything. And I, you probably have to travel a lot for shows, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, there was a lot of that. I can't necessarily say what it's like right now, but at the time, I mean, this is like kind of the peak of like Boston heart. Well, I can't say peak. It felt like the peak for me, but it, like, it was, you know, that was like the era where, uh, Boston Beatdown 2 came out. And there was like a lot of bands who were sort of like reaching their crescendo, like around that time. And I just felt like that was, that, that was, those were very good times. But yeah, New Hampshire in general, like, I mean, I grew up in Nashua, which is like five minutes away from the the Massachusetts border. And then over time, just started to like go to more shows in Boston. But like there there was this band since the flood that was a a thing at Mm -hmm. the time. And I used to go to shows with them all the time. So like my early like hardcore days would be like going in the van with them and thinking it was super tight to just like drive to like some show in maine with 15 kids there it's like in retrospect it's like wow you you were driving like four hours to go to a show that had like 11 people there right and probably not to make any money oh hell no i I mean if there was money to make, i wasn't involved in that side of the business but yeah definitely no money either yeah so what got you into like hardcore music in general i was thinking about that earlier i think like the first rock music that i ever listened to was green day in like 94 like dookie had a big impact on me because i was like strictly a rap fan prior to that and then that like kind of switched me over to being interested in like uh music with guitars but then i started to listen to um well yeah in like eighth grade it was when i really started to like expand into more punk and ska and then all of a sudden i was into hardcore and then i was into death metal and black metal and grindcore but then i like sort of reeled it back and like found myself sort of settling on hardcore as like the stuff i was actually attracted to sonically so i mean as an assumption i just kind of figured you were like an old school hardcore kid so like you know the punk and like more like uh old school hate breathe like mm. all that kind of like all those kinds of jams but hearing you say like black metal and grindcore that actually is very i tried that all on for size in like eighth ninth grade <laughs> but then ultimately like yeah because i mean 
anal cunt was a big part of that too though because it's like anal cunt was just the funniest shit ever to us just mm-hmm. the titles and everything and then over time just slowly started to realize that I just couldn't really get down to stuff that was just ridiculously noisy. Although I, I doubt how many, like I doubt how many uh, Spotify Spotify plays the anal cunt has right now. Oh, I mean, like if you re- if you really check it, like if you check like all the bands that like, you may have listened to as a kid, yeah. or like bands that are actually kind of big now in the scene, the plays the play count is drastically different mm. than plays you're probably used to with like hip-hop or i'm used to with like electronic music probably yeah but i just feel like anal cunt probably like their listenability just was never really their strong suit but yeah i don't know i was just like kind of tried all that stuff and then just ended up sort of gravitating towards hardcore but yeah like you said like i was really into minor threat youth of today chain of strength all this stuff that was sort of like youth crew and like early 80s hardcore type stuff but then like the the scene at the time and like the bands that I was with or friends with like I was I was cool with the guys on Broken Wings that was another band oh, that I used yeah. to hang out with a bunch I was actually I remember Johnny Cupcakes was the first person that I ever saw access, accessing his email via his phone I was thinking about that the other day because I seen a, a, a Johnny Cupcakes shirt he did yeah and it blew my fucking mind that he could actually do that because in like 2002 that was entirely a new thing. But yeah, I was mostly like friends with all these metalcore bands. So I was going to those kind of shows and everything. But yeah, I, I was, you remember this band Mental from uh, Boston? Not off the top of my head, no. Ooh, they had a movement going for a while. They were so dope. They were like the first band on Locking Out. Okay. Yeah. Now, Unbroken Wings is definitely, I mean, they played a lot down here as well. They had a connection because I think they were on Eulogy Records for a little bit. Right. Uh, Evergreen Terrace was from Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So they were always coming down and they were always going up to Boston area. But actually, you just made me remember that in, cause I went to Magic Fest one year and it was, um, it was like, uh, I was with Barrier Dead, Black My Heart, Since the Flood, Unbroken Wings was the lineup on this tour. Mm. And, um, we went to Magic Fest and Youth of Today was headlining and it was like a whole big row of, uh, fans who like turned their backs on them and like ex- and threw their exes up to Ray Kappa. So that was, that was weird. I think that might have been one of the, my earlier experiences that was like, holy shit, straight is just fucking stupid. Were you ever straight? Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I were was. you ever straight? I was, but I remember watching that and being like, wow, I'm not straight as like that. Like, I'm not gonna fucking turn my back on Rick Kappa. It's one of those things where I think a lot of kids are straight edge because it, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. I'm not gonna say anything negative about it, but I feel like a lot of people are straight edge prior to 21. Oh yeah. I mean, straight edge, I think is like a great influence to keep kids like, because like, I mean, as few drugs as you could try or as slow as you could trickle it into your life the better right <laughs> but like like for me like i mean i've tried probably almost every drug but i mean i smoke weed every day but at the same time like my girl was just pointing out she's like we haven't even been drunk in like six months since the last time we were in miami i'm like wow yeah i guess i i kind of left the, the alcohol part behind at some point i, I did as well probably just being 35 a, yeah i also am 35 but hurts. Yeah, uh, i gave up drinking for a year which wrecked me really yeah because then drinking i mean i used to socially drink and mm. i was djing in the nightlife and all that shit too so like it was just like pounding them throughout yeah. the night and you just got used to it but then when you give it up yeah it's like two three beers and it's like fuck, you're drunk you're like super drunk yeah totally yeah and the hangovers are just like insane yeah the hangovers are was, that's what slowly got me to stop drinking was just the fact that like i don't like the way that i am when i'm doing podcasts when i'm hungover like it's just i just don't feel like i'm operating optimally so yeah. You were saying you were doing shows like, uh, and I mean, you went to shows and you were hanging out with Boston bands and this, that, and the other. I always noticed with those Boston kids coming down, at least to Jack, uh, to Florida, <clears throat> their style of moshing is quite different mm. than most people in the, uh, in the country. What are your thoughts on that? It just seems like it's more 
brutal and they're out to physically hurt people more <laughs> yeah no i think like when i was 15 and i went to this blood for blood show at the palladium and um it was like I, I, at some point you know it's a it's a concert so you think you can just get up close to the to the band and just watch the band and just sing along and everything and then i started getting like hit and i turn around and just see all these massive crew dudes with like shaved heads and like they all got the same shirt on and they're all just beating the shit out of everybody um but i think that's when i first started like tapping and realized that Boston had this like uh this complex about being the hardest with moshing which I mean I've never seen anything like it since but I mean I just remember seeing kids who were moshing and they were like they would just swing their fists backwards like with insane ninja like precision yeah. and be like breaking people's noses and shit and it was just was such a weird vibe that everybody thought it was so cool but I I I mean as a like kid who was like fresh out of puberty I thought it was the coolest shit ever yeah, too. Like, I, I loved it yeah as a kid and it also makes you feel like you're a part of something cuz that's mm. so different and dynamic than your stereotypical like MTV shit that you're watching or any other kind of rock concert you go to. And I remember just like constantly trying to like sort of figure out or like try to like justify this in my head. Like some metalhead kid would show up at the show and like get the dog shit beat out of them. And like on one part of me is like, Oh hell yeah. We just beat somebody up. That was sick. And then another part of me is like, how can you like make sense of this? Like just cause he has long hair, they beat the fuck out of him. He likes a different kind of music. Yeah. But it's like that, that honestly kind of trips me out now. Cause like whenever you see big hardcore bills and shit now, it's like all these metal and hardcore bands playing together. Mm -hmm. I was sort of just realizing that they sort of have to team up together. Uh, but at the time it was so crazy. Like, between genres like if you were some kid with a mohawk and you showed up a hardcore show in boston you were just gonna get the fuck beat out of you just because you yeah. look different you know it's all it, hardcore has always had like interesting things going on in the crowd yeah. like the, <laughs> the the slam dancing stuff the ninja fighting moves um the running from one side of the pit to the other and just like stretching out and hitting someone fucking mm. five people away yeah the crowd walking thing i never understood too <sighs> i was never really too. a fan of that yeah. and i mean you see it from such a different perspective when you're like in the crowd and like the last couple hardcore shows i've been at or whatever i've been just sort of like lurking around the ba the backstage just like looking out and when you're like totally removed from it just watching people mosh it's just like holy fuck like and it's the last hardcore show i went to too there was a ton of girls just moshing and just getting hit yeah. by dudes and i'm just like wow like that's such a crazy level of dedication that you want to come out here and get your nose broken for this music but hell yeah that's sick <laughs> i've never had anything happen to me like that i've, I've been hit in the face someone jumped off a stage at an unbroken wing show out, really uh, wow. oddly enough they jumped out and they just like swung their feet forward and like kind of like not cannonballed but just like jumped like you were going into a pool right and it caught the fucking shoe right in the face i had a couple bad ones i remember i got a really i don't know it was a real concussion but i got hit in the head so bad that all i could hear was like ringing from from a stage diver for like a while at a at a like Hatebreed used to do shows where yeah. they would play under this fake name like a, a call for blood i think it was okay and they would play under that name when they were they wanted to play like smaller venues on tour that like couldn't be justified by the larger tour they were on or something like that and like that was where it happened was at some small ass club and then actually somebody pulled a gun allegedly because like the whole thing got shut down immediately which is probably the first time i've ever been anywhere that there was a gun being pulled out when i was like 18 and i remember just being scared shitless yeah at a hate breed show that i was at a friend of mine was standing right next to me and someone, it was a two-story venue, someone jumped off of the second story and landed directly on my friend. Oh, my God. So, yeah, yeah. it's funny that you say Hatebreed is a crazy show because they, they, they used to put on a crazy show. I haven't seen them in years. Yeah, so. the, the Hatebreed bill for, like, uh, I don't know, it was probably, like, actually my first real hardcore show was Unearth, E-Town, Concrete, Death Threat, Hatebreed, and fuck, there might be one more, but... 
That's that, a pretty solid line. That was on Real, yeah. yeah. Or Sworn Enemy was on it too. Yeah. And they went on to just like, they all had wild ass careers, super legendary. And that's just when I think about that being like the first <laughs> real show I went to, I was just like, holy fuck, that's insane. I yeah. hated E-Town Concrete as a kid though. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't either. And I never really got into them after that. But the other bands I've fucking followed, obviously, because they've still been in the scene for a long I'm time. I'm sure they're tight, but at the time I was like, no, nah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that brings me to another question. What, uh, like what hardcore bands were you into? And obviously you said you're into like, are you followed around metalcore bands? Were you into like metalcore as well or? Yeah. I mean, I would listen to it and stuff like a lot. Actually, a lot of those bands I just named like on a personal level, those were all bands I listened to a lot, like Death Threat and Haybreed and, uh, Unearth and stuff. And like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, but myself personally, I felt like I always kind of gravitated back towards a lot of the youth crew stuff. Like I was just listening to Minor Threat and Chain of Strength and, Youth of Today and Cro-Mags and just a lot of like older stuff in general. And then like there was, there was a lot of like, like I loved, uh, Suicide File out of Boston. That was, that's still a band that I could like just throw on and listen to. I love Blood for Blood. Like okay. getting to interview White Trash Rob was crazy as fuck. Like that, that, that was just, I mean, especially just being from like roughly a similar area as White Trash Rob and just hearing his perspective on basically like my upbringing to a certain extent <laughs> where he was basically like saying like, you're a white trash piece of shit, but it's okay. Like you're still cool. And it was like very like a perspective that I had never really heard, like in a way, especially as somebody who was so influenced by rap at a young age. It's like you kind of don't know how to make sense of your financial circumstances that you grow <laughs> up in if you're sort of like lower middle class, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how did you, yeah, how did you get into rap in general? Cause I mean, you were obviously like BMX biking and yeah. you were doing your thing around the New England area, but like you were, you said you were into hip hop and then gradually you kind of found hardcore and metal. Yeah. I mean, with, with rap, it was like, that was the first music that I ever remember liking when I was like, uh, maybe like nine or 10. I just remember when I found like Snoop Dogg and just heard the sound is the way that he sounded. It was just, it blew my mind. The whole like G funk movement mm -hmm. that they were having at the time. And, um, yeah, it really kind of like resonated in a way with me <clears throat> that I think I maybe had been listening to like crisscross and like other like vanilla ice or yeah. like MC hammer or shit like that. Um, well, but those then, are all like big, like at least huge, mainstream yeah. pillars in, in the rap hip hop world at that time. And I, I really like that music and stuff. But then once I heard Snoop Dogg and realized like, whoa, this guy's really in a gang. Like this dude is like the, the coolest motherfucker yeah. ever. Like, yeah, it blew my mind. <clears throat> and it just like kind of set me off on like wanting to like figure out as much as I could about that world. Even though at the time my thinking was so advanced that I like assumed that Snoop and Coolio were in the same gang because they were both wearing blue rags. Um, but yeah, like that, that's how I got interested in that. And then like, but you know, you have that weird identity struggle when you're, when you're young, especially at that time where it's like, Oh, I like rap and I like punk and like mm -hmm. metal and stuff. And it's just like at the time it was hard for me to sort of reconcile that. And I remember taking a lot of, a lot of heat for that from my friends and shit. Yeah. I mean, I grew up the same way. Um, I definitely was like my parents listened to their music, which mm. got me into my music for the most part, but I was fucking doing MC hammer and crisscross as well. Yeah. And then I think one of the first CDs I stole from like one of those BMG like music things, you know, you, yep. you fill out the thing and send off. And I was they, heavy on that. Yeah. They, for 99 cents, you can get 10 records or uh -huh. something. I got like Do doggy style was one of the first records I, or albums I got from that. So yep. I was hooked on that as well. Um, one thing I always noticed from, cause I myself was in a band at, when I was younger, a lot of, I feel like the hardcore, I just call it the hardcore scene in general, mm. including metal and everything. Else. Right. A lot of that does it has a lot of similarities to like hip hop. Mm -hmm. And, um, I always kind of, 
thought that that was strange, but do you find similarities in the two like genres as far as like hip hop and the hardcore scene go? Yeah, definitely. And in a weird way, I feel like my, I spent so much time in like going to shows and also in the BMX world and stuff. And there's such like humble subcultures that I feel like it's, it's very much equipped me to be able to do the rap thing and to be able to like, form good relationships with people and stuff because I'm just not like, there's a whole mentality towards rappers where people just like act like they're fucking gods. And like, that's cool. A lot of times it's just do want to be treated like gods by people, but like reality, you're probably not going to form like a real friendship or relationship with them. If you can't get over the fact that they're a rapper, Mm -hmm. but I spent so much time around BMX kids and stuff who just don't have that, that, that like pompous attitude that I feel like it gives me a better ability to relate to rappers and stuff who might otherwise be, kind of hard to get through to but i def i mean i notice it all the time like when i when i think about all the crews and everything all the moshing and stuff that i was uh, exposed to as a young man at shows and it's like i can like 100 percent draw a line between that and like a lot of like gang banging culture in la and stuff it's like people just want to form groups to be able to like you know feel safe mm-hmm. and it's like you just see a lot of that playing out through the music and stuff and a lot of the music sort of covers similar themes of you know whatever genre you're listening to that's basically just about well it's really about like self-identification and just explaining who you are and how you feel and what your values are and when you're young which most rappers or bands are it's like that's the most important thing is to just define who you are because you're so young that you haven't really had a chance to do that yet yeah um speaking of moshing and hip-hop shows and stuff that's kind of come more prevalent these days as far as like crowd participation mm. at shows is that is was that weird for you like seeing that because i mean obviously like the little pump type shows mm. and the suicide boys type shows those i all the videos i see it's just like the whole crowd going fucking crazy like moshing indeed yeah um that has been a crazy thing to witness um and i actually think that's kind of when i like really started to feel like oh i can have like a place in the rap world in the sense is because i was like or like oh i have a contribution that i could actually like put forward because i was already doing bmx interviews and i had just started to like sort of get into interviewing like people outside of bmx like you know different clothing brands around la and stuff just people i was interested in but then i interviewed this dude xavier wolf and like he's he raps with this dude bones and shit and their shows they were like I thought it was unbelievable because they were selling out like 400 person clubs and but they would have insane mosh pits at their shows and shit. And I just had never really seen anything like it as just like totally fucking mind blowing. But that, that was like at that moment was sort of when I started to realize like, Oh, okay. Like in a lot of ways, like the internet is flattening out hip hop. So there's like a lot of different crowds and like scenes that, that yeah, it's become like exist. the biggest thing. I mean, it is yeah. the biggest thing for the most part. I mean, when I was younger, it was just like, to be a rapper was like such a more narrowly defined thing and to be in you know the media was like such a narrowly defined thing too and i Mm -hmm. felt like i just kind of like found my lane into it around that time but yeah i mean like you know this is my buddies we did a blue face show and you know he bring it was an all ages blue face show too which is good because if you live in la and you want to see blue face it's like you could go see him but he's like playing clubs and stuff mm-hmm. largely where you gotta be 21 we did an all ages blue face show but then also in the audience where you know so there's tons of like 15 16 year old kids in the audience but then there's also like blue face he's like you know relatively popular like hood rapper so you have a whole bunch of like adult black women and then we are calling for mosh pits and shit. And that, like, when I first said, like, yo, I want to see this fucking mosh pit. And I just see a bunch of, like, grown-ass women just shaking their heads. Like, oh, 
Yeah. God, so she's not a big off. fan of them either. She's, she, she gets a little, uh, unnerved by the mosh pitting. Really? Yeah. yeah. But I kind of, oh, you know, you just put your arm out like that and no one really kind of comes to you. At least down in, in Florida. I, I couldn't go near her these days. I don't know. I don't think I got it in me now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like staged. I once in a blue moon, but like, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, that, that's such a weird like position to put yourself in after you haven't, been in that position for a while i remember i went to a cold world show in at cbgb's or some shit and there was like there was like I, I, i'm just standing there and the dude just like jumps off stage and just kicks me in the head and i didn't <laughs> i didn't even feel like the mosh pit had like started yet and i'm just like oh right this. this bullshit again because yeah. <laughs> i hadn't been to the show for a while <laughs> um so let's toss it back to like you know uh bmxing in your the come up like when did you start bmxing as far as like in your youth yeah, I think I was like 13 and it was just kind of the cool thing to do around town when I was 13, which is weird to think about now because I don't feel like a lot of 13 year olds are necessarily getting obsessed with BMX these days. But yeah, it was just like sort of a way to get out of the neighborhood and go explore. And all of a sudden I was like 30 miles away from my house, like pedaling our bikes to the skate parks and just going to different towns, taking the train into Boston and stuff. And that's just like pretty much took over my life like really early on and i think that is kind of the benefit of when there's like a really rich subculture around something because at that time all the magazines and videos in the bmx world were just like the the culture of it was so phenomenal that as soon as i found out about it i was just like completely sucked into it because there's so many cool videos coming out and so many sick pro riders and magazines at the time but like when i found out about bmx it was just it was over for every other thing I was interested in in my life for the most part. Like I was still into music and I still went online, but BMX was like all of a sudden like 10 hours a day. I was just wanted to be out yeah. of the house, just riding around and just doing whatever. What was your first bike? My first bike was a, a well, my first BMX bike was a Schwinn Powermatic or some shit. Like mm-hmm. I remember like I had a paper route and I had to have my dad like advance me 200 bucks or something so I could go get this bike at the bike shop and, uh, yeah, that was the, that was the beginning of the end of like my social life just going down the tube. Like I didn't go to prom because I thought it would be like I was like, nah, I'm a hardcore BMX rider. I'm just gonna ride around with my friends at night. Yeah, well, hey, you gotta do it. Didn't you bother me either because we didn't have Instagram, so I I couldn't FOMO from it. I couldn't tell that everybody right. else was having a great time. Right, right. You just didn't know. <laughs> it was easy to ignore. Did you ever ride around with speakers on your BMX? No, I never did, but I've definitely seen that, especially in New York. In New York, like, cause they had those, uh, Osiris backpacks or whatever mm-hmm. that had the big speakers built into them and stuff. And now with the beats built, people do that all the time. Yeah. They'll just like Bluetooth their phone while they're riding wherever they're at and just play loud ass music and stuff. Yeah. I definitely had, I had like a GT Dyna was my first one mm-hmm. or something like that. And I used to stick these computer speakers in between like the handlebars. Right. And had like a tape deck. Yeah. I had that like ghetto rig to like play bling bling or something like that. <laughs> bling bling. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> we don't really play bling bling enough these days. That's, that's a good That point. was like a niche song for a time period, but it's, it still rides, I think. No, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You're right um, though. So how did you get involved? One of my first websites was a BMX white website too on like AOL or something like that. Mm. So how did you get involved in like making a website and did you actually like do you code it yourself and No, I never coded anything. <laughs> um I'm a very very big advocate for like not learning ever how to do the the down and gritty of whatever you're doing like i own a bike shop and i do not know how to use the register and i have no interest in learning how to use the register like below uh, you anyway i just don't you know at a certain point it's like i feel like you got to just have things in your life that you don't know how to do and i'm glad that i kind of knew that from early on because yeah well 
actually the year was like 2006 and I was, you know, looking at bridge nine all the time. I'm looking at, um, you know, cause I was playing online poker. Yeah. I got to mention that. It was like, I started playing online poker when I was like 20 and that just became my life pretty quickly. Cause I completely like wrecked my body from BMX. Like I had broken my leg and fucked up my lower back, which I probably should have took as a sign that I was really not meant to be an athlete, which is now I accept. <laughs> um, but I was like just sitting on my computer all day, every day playing online poker. And so I was I'm like looking for things to distract me. So I'm looking at bridge nine. I'm looking at BMX message boards. I was looking, and this is like 2005 this is when the first hip hop blogs started to emerge. So I was spending time looking at those and I started just like making connections in my head. Like, Oh, there's no like good BMX website. And so I just completely jacked the idea, like the exact formula that this blog now, now right had. And it was like one of the first hip hop blogs, mm -hmm. super influential. Mm -hmm. And I just made my BMX website almost exactly like that. Like they would post the new cover of Double XL and be like, "Look, you know, Lil Wayne's on the cover of Double XL this month." I'm like, "That's what I'm gonna do." I'm like, even these magazines that don't even like me, I'm just gonna take them and like show their first cover or whatever. I'm gonna go through and like find all the news that they're reporting in these magazines that they think that they're keeping off of the internet, and I'm gonna <laughs> report that news and like fuck them. I don't give a fuck if they want to like co-sign me doing it. So yeah, that was uh, it. Was just a product of me trying to kill time online, and then. At some point, I realized, like, holy shit, I'm making enough money off of selling advertisements on this website that I could just quit playing poker and just focus on this 100%. And uh, that was that was what I did, yeah. So leading up to 2006, like, you're, were you saying, like, you're playing poker, like, for your means of income in general? Or were you working, like, some shitty side gig? Or? No, I haven't had jobs since I was, like, 17 or something. Like, I just started playing online poker. Before that, I was, like, doing credit card fraud and selling drugs and stuff. So that was, like... <laughs> I heard about that recently as well. Right, yeah. And then, like, the, the online poker thing kind of, like, substituted for that. And it, it was so, like... It was so exciting because I was like, oh, now I don't have to like go to the mall and be stressed out and like have to like buy computers anymore. Like on other people's credit cards, I can just, you know, do the online poker thing, which comes with a lot of its own stress because it's like the crazy right. ups and downs. Oh, yeah. So, I also play online poker too. Oh, so my I, God. And I wholeheartedly know <laughs> the wins and losses of that. So. You're making ad revenue. Uh, this is like what 2006, 2008 ish. Yeah, that, that whole area. Yeah, because like decent for that as well. Yeah, I mean when the when the ad revenue started to come in, it's like when I think about it now, what I should have probably done was like just start educating myself on like how to run a business like that, which which I was really focused on that as well. But at the same time, like I I mostly was just like so excited about being in New York City and being able to like make a living off of BMX and just going out every day and riding BMX. So I just got a video camera and I was just riding around for years, just filming with my friends and just hanging out in New York every day and like just sitting in the square until like three in the morning, just hanging out. Like it was just that, that was like all I wanted to do at that time was just be on my bike and be out and work on video projects and stuff and so like i mean and when i look back at it too like in that time period we were making vlogs we just didn't yeah. know it yet mm -hmm. like we made some back then that were like basically just like pretty good vlogs and we just had no idea and in retrospect i really wish i had like seized upon that and known that i should have become a youtuber I, I think about that sometimes like what if i had been like the first one if i had known yeah. that i should stick with that at that age because like it's just the, the the framework of what it was to be a youtuber wasn't like laid out at that time yeah yeah i um i also had a hard hardcore website mm. when i was like early 2000s and uh i started i had it for like three four years and it was decent i had established relationships with people like a trust kill ferret and all this mm. stuff so i had i had advertisements uh advertising money coming in too then i thought of like, oh, I'll just be in a band. And then that took over my life mm. and that took a back seat. But now, you know, 
full circle, here we are again, and I'm working for a hardcore metal website. And I just think, too, if I had stuck with it from the get-go, yeah. where would I be? No, yeah. If I could go back in time and have like seen how things were going to play out. But, you know, all things considered, yeah. you can't live in the past. So did you turn this ad revenue uh, money into what is now currently known as Onsome Shit? Or like, how did Onsome Shit start? Yeah, you know, I was like making a, a decent amount of money from the running the BMX website. And then at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? Like, I... I accurately realize like the, the come up is a bmx media company and media companies by definition are always going to be kind of corny because i have to take advertisements from some like gum company and shit which mm-hmm. is like the, the pre-financial crash like my website like i remember there was a month where i got advertisements from some fucking company and like i got 10 grand that month from advertisements for like video games and shit that they had gotten me and i was just I, I like didn't even know that was possible right. was low, but then there was a financial crash like a month later and all of a sudden boom it's gone but uh yeah that that was like the most mind-blowing thing and so i was just like at a certain point i was like doing pretty good money wise and i realized like okay i need to start like a different brand because the whole part of like you know because i wanted to make shirts that were that were different and I, at the time like my my smart idea actually honestly was like i want to do like seats like they had just come out with a technology that like anybody who knew how to contact a factory in china could make a seat that had a wrap of an image on it that was like uh whatever graphic you wanted so i was like yo i'm gonna make weed seats like we smoke weed like i'm gonna make seats that have pot leaves all over them <laughs> and like maybe make some t-shirts too and then my friend brendan from incendiary was like you should call it on some shit and do the ssd font it's like a classic Boston hardcore band. He's like, you should do the SSD font with OSS, but make it say OSS. So stand for on some shit. I still to this day, I just have to give him credit because he just gave me the whole, the whole plan name wise right there. Like he just said it. And, um, yeah, I just like started to, to roll with that. And it's sort of like, I, I never made those seats, which is a shame because they probably would have <laughs> sold really good. But then you still could. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably even better now. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people did it after that because the, the, you know, think about like Huff socks now. It's like yeah. the most obvious thing. Like, yeah, you put a pot leaf on something and people buy it at the time. Those a little more edgy back in the day. Slightly less yeah. obvious. Yeah. yeah. So I watched some of your earlier videos of like, um, I guess the no jumper, which originally started out like, you know, BMX clips. And mm. then you started moving into the interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. But along the way, I also saw that you did like some unboxing of streetwear type clothes. Was that like mm. an, have you always been into streetwear? And is that something that on some shit was like kind of based off of too? Not really, to be honest. Like I always wanted to run my own clothing line and I always felt like I was kind of angry at the world because I was like, man, all these like skateboarding brands, like fuck them. I don't know them. I don't know who the fuck they are. Like I was just a super like pompous, egotistical, you kid i was like what the fuck is supreme like why is supreme popular like i ride bmx bikes with my friends our shit should be cooler than supreme like i was that that you know you have to be kind of like absurdly overconfident in yourself i think to like start a bunch of businesses when you're young because you know if if i had known anything about the bmx media world i would have been smart enough to be like oh like i have no business trying to butt into this you know but i didn't know shit and thought i knew everything so i was like all right let's (laughs) let's go for it and um yeah, but the, the, those like streetwear things, that was just because when I first started the podcast and everybody realized that they could send shit to our address, we would just be overflowing with product. Like we would just get sent like huge amounts of t-shirts and stuff and we would make videos like reviewing it, which I kind of stopped doing just because it kind of got depressing to like just open up like bad t-shirt after bad t-shirt. And it was just seemed like there was so little stuff that we were actually like into and like, 
some of the ones, some of the Shiro review podcasts would just kind of be like, oh, like here's another show that nobody has anything to say about <laughs> times 20, you know, right. just keep doing that in a row. Plus, the, the more that you do that, the more you're inviting people to send you just random shit. Yeah. And it just got to a point where I was like, I don't really want all this clothing coming in. I'm, I'm really like a person that doesn't like having a lot of shit. Like I really don't like, I don't have much stuff. I'm like not hugely worried about people robbing my house because I don't really know what they would take. Um, so yeah, I'm just like the, the having a bunch of crap around. It's just like kind of a nightmare for me. Is the minimalist outlook kind of like a hardcore? I think like a lot of hardcore kids don't really have a lot of no yeah. shit that cause I don't either. either. I'm not a, well, they have seven inches in like 10 colors, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, the record collection is insane. But I, I went through a brief phase with that too. There's like a few records that I like bought in like six colors just cause that seemed like the thing to do at the time. Yeah. I de- there's definitely bands that I will go out and if there's something like if I have their record, poison well is one of those two mm-hmm. that I got really crazy with buying their records, uh, earlier on. Glassjaw is another band that I'm fucking just nutty about. And you, you think about how crazy it is that like, or this occurred to me at the time too, but they're like, oh, like Bridge Nine will put out a seven inch and they'll sell it for four dollars, where they're making this like tiny sliver of profit. Yeah. But then at the same time, they'll put out that same record that they're making jack shit off of in eighteen different colors. It's kind of like. I don't, I don't know. Those, those two things just seem like in, in contradiction to each mm-hmm. other. But I mean, not not them specifically. Everybody in hardcore, I guess, does that. But yeah. I mean, this is kind of a fascinating. The, the multiple thing. color one. The multiple color ones are different. Swirls, are, are weird. swirls. <laughs> but <I've, clears throat> luckily, Disogs will sometimes, especially for hardcore music and stuff, they'll let you know, like, hey, this is a first pressing. There's only 200 of these, or something mm. like that. Most records that are do that that you would see outside of the scene, for the most part. Uh, don't really list like the quantities, but mm. I think like hardcore music does really well with like, Hey, this is only 200, 500, a thousand copies, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. See, I, when I think about something like that too, I'm like, that sucks. Like, it's crazy that we're in the, we're in the music world. Like I run a music business, but I have never sold music. Well, I guess I, I did cause I had a label thing with Atlantic and we had music on streaming services and everything, but I've never like been able to like put music on. Mm-hmm my like online store which is this is kind of like a weird disconnect that the thing that this is all based on is like the one thing that you can't sell yeah is that something though that you do you not want to sell it just so you don't seem like you're kind of like oh i just don't think anybody would buy it because (laughs) everybody just listens to music on apple music and stuff but no like the the vinyl thing is smart though at one point i was trying to do that i was like we need to take all these like soundcloud releases and put them on vinyl and like do these special releases and Mm -hmm. stuff but now everybody just signs to a label, so I feel like that would be really complicated to make it that happen. Well, vinyl is like obviously coming back or right. came back. It's like one of the number one sellers in you know music. Mm. <clears throat> but um, let's cut to the podcast. <laughs> what made you des- decide to start a podcast? Because I mean, I know you're a JRE fan and everything like that, so. That's one of the reasons why I started a podcast. Yeah. How'd you get into podcasts? In that, general? that was a huge part of it. I went to Barcelona for a month and my phone service was like, you, you can really like get on the internet that well in our apartment. But I had like downloaded a shitload of fucking Joe Rogan podcasts and I was just like sitting around listening to him and I couldn't really get online that much. And I was just had a lot of time to let my brain wander. And this is maybe like 2012. And I really started to think like, Okay, like you've, you've done good with this whole BMX thing and everything. You have this website and stuff, but what's next? Like you, you I just start, was starting to feel kind of stagnant. And I was listening to Joe Rogan do his podcast. And at a certain point, I'm like, you know, I want to be having like long form conversations. I remember during that, actually, I went out to brunch with this girl, Michelle, who's a DJ. And she, uh, was telling me because she apprenticed under Spinderella from, uh, mm-hmm. TLC, right? 
I believe no, so. No, salt and pepper. It's salt and pepper. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Um, and, and she told me that, and I remember I was just sitting there at lunch with her for like an hour talking, and then I just sort of like made the connection in my head. I'm like, you're sitting around listening to Joe Rogan do these interviews, and then you just sat with her, and you just had an hour-long conversation with her. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I had a recording of that, then that would be like a pretty good podcast right there. And so that sort of set me up in my mind that I was like, when I get home, I'm going to... um start to try to figure this out but the ball didn't like, i did a lot of bmx podcasts that nobody will yeah. no, nobody will remember like before like the official bmx podcast that i was doing i used to just do more like short form like stuff with like i went to like interbike one year and just like did a bunch of interviews with different bike companies and stuff like i had a, a few like false starts with like figuring it out but then at some point i started to really go hard with the youtube thing making podcasts about bmx doing you know just like putting the work in doing like one or two of those every week and like just really starting to build up my confidence because i remember at first i was just like racked with nerves like i would i remember i was interviewing my friend grant germain and like some other and this filmer dude vish and like there's no reason that i should have been nervous for it but i was so nervous and i remember like just every time i would do a podcast i'd just be thinking like you're just beating the nerves out of yourself every time yeah. you do this because like eventually you're going to get to the point where you're not going to feel anything when you go into do these and that slowly are you there now yeah <laughs> i mean i can't wait to get there <laughs> <laughs> i mean mostly like sometimes I, I get nervous because sometimes i'll have to interview a rapper and i just don't believe that he's going to be terribly vocal or open or he's you know some, some people just are not the best some of the biggest name interviews that everybody wants to see you do then like they're just not the easiest interviews to right. do i watched uh logan paul interview uh, lamar odom the other day and it was just like like if you watch it and you look at it from the perspective of like an interviewer, it's like that was that was not an easy interview. <laughs> like that that was tough. Like I don't envy him having to do that. We definitely, I've definitely shot one, uh, shot an interview, mm. and uh, we did not put it out because I don't think I was awkward, but the entire interview was just painfully awful. Yeah, there's yeah. so many things that can go wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, there's a hundred million things that can go wrong. Yeah. So when did you decide to start? doing like rappers because you were doing bmx people like you said before but right. like you just kind of like fell into the rapper world or because like so we're doing bmx podcasts out of the back of the store and there's this rapper xavier wolf who was like kind of the reason why i even really started to like he was the first rapper i was friends with and he also would ride bikes with us like he his girlfriend at the time lived downtown so i would like he would come to the store like every day and just start rolling blunts and just hanging out and like he'd, he he was like brand new to bmx so he'd be super excited like i want to go to this random ledge and we'd be like all right cool he wants to go to this ledge and we would just like ride around hang out with him whatever and um i got to do the interview with him and that was pretty cool like uh i you know i was just struck immediately by the reaction i got where i was like wow that was a way bigger reaction than anything i've ever done in bmx like mm -hmm. just more people watching it more people commenting hitting me up about it and then you know i, I wasn't necessarily uh viewing myself as like a rap interviewer but then the rapper puya reached out to me who i hadn't even met at the time now we're good friends mm -hmm. and he was just like yo like i saw that xavier interview i want you to do my first interview I'm like, all right, cool. But then all of a sudden, like, I have like a pretty good rap sheet because those were like basically two of the most popular rappers in that scene at that time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just became really easy for me to talk to like, you know, Suicide Boys. And like, I got their interview when they were really not yeah, shit, to be that. honest. Mm -hmm. And then they fucking exploded, like, not because of the interview, but like, they were basically like already like coming up at that point. And then I got the interview at the perfect moment. And then that did like three million views and it was over after that. Cause that, I, that was an insane yeah. thing to watch just from at the outside. Cause mm. again, I watched your pot. I, I 
have my toe into like hip hop and stuff like that. When I found your podcast, it drove me more into it, obviously, mm. especially because you were covering a lot of rappers that were in my area because I'm right. in Florida. So, uh, I started watching those interviews. I remember watching the Puyo one and I didn't know who he was prior to that, mm. but that led me to find him. But then from that, I found the Suicide Boys and then had the Suicide Boys on, you had the Suicide Boys on your podcast. And I remember just watching their rise to fame is like something great. It's like crazy to watch because it is like, it just feels like almost borderline. I don't want to say juggalo, but kind of like <laughs> right. borderline juggalo because their fans are just so right. fucking Because it's a different section, like a different cross section of hip hop that you're not necessarily, that, that a lot of people wouldn't even assume would necessarily uh, exist in the first place at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a lot, there's, that's a cool thing about rap is that there are all these disparate, like, fan bases like i remember a couple of years ago i went to a tyler the creator show in the in orange county and i was like this is like you could never tell anyone that this was a rap crowd from like <laughs> if you were just like looking at this crowd from a distance it's like 100 percent white yeah. and it doesn't look like a rap crowd it doesn't look like what anyone would expect a rap crowd to look like but you know it's like that's that's his fan base like he appeals to the certain section of rappers that or of rap fans that probably maybe don't listen to you know Blueface, I guess, yeah. you know, it's just different worlds that all sort of overlap. And the rap, the hip hop rap world has just created so many, uh, sub genres too. Mm. Like, you know, the, uh, I bring up the juggalo thing, but like, that's just an, in- an insanely giant movement that's been going on for fucking 20 plus years. And then I also kind of like randomly fell into like working a gig one time where it was like Southern Illinois mud festival, but it's all like hip hop. Mm. You know, like Upchurch was doing his thing, oh, yeah. and like Jelly Roll, and right. you know, just people like that that are doing hip hop, but like based for like people that ride tractors and shit. Yeah, and it's now crazy. we got Old Town Road, yeah. which is the the the, the, the compromise, like the the combination of like all these different urges that we didn't necessarily know existed. I've also, yeah, I definitely told some of my people down where I live that I went to that thing and I was like, you have no idea. This is like an, un- it, it seems like an untapped market because <clears throat> people like in rural areas mm. listen to rap too. Right. So why not make, and there's more of them than there are people that live in urban, suburban areas. But or that, urban that, areas. That's the crazy thing about it though. Is like when you really think about rap is like, like the thing that is propping up, you know, most gangster rappers careers is not like their community. It's the <laughs> fucking white kids who fetishize their community, which is okay. But at the same time, I mean, if you could like make music that will appeal to those people in a more genuine way, I mean, you know that those customers are out there. You know that there's people in the flyover states who, who like gangster rap, but it's like, you know, the, this interest with the old town road thing, because it's like, I guess appealing to them in a more, sincere way with this ironic jokey meme song yeah well you got like billy ray who's probably some a lot of theirs right like, Ricky Hart's well, he's kind of the cosign to like be right. like all right billy ray fucks with this kid all right we're in yeah <laughs> and it's got the little twangy guitar beat and everything yep. like that so it definitely hits home for a lot of rural people i'm, I'm assuming too mm-hmm. emo rap or you know like not yeah, i don't, shouldn't say emo rap but right. like juice world type mm-hmm. type stuff um where do you see how do you where did that come from and where do you see that going and, and everything like that? Cause it just seems like being in the hardcore world, emo is also very prevalent. Mm. And it's just weird that it's taking, um, you know, a number of years for rap to kind of adopt that culture as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of fascinating that there's like a certain pose associated with, uh, emo music, which is kind of like, 
hey, like this girl broke my heart and maybe I'm wrong for it or maybe she's wrong for it. But either way, I'm hurt. And that doesn't necessarily exist that often in rap. Like yeah. I feel like that in a weird way is a contribution that the Juice Bros brought to the table where it's like, like everyone calls him emo. He's like a like a young dude who's like got the gall to like talk about his feelings. And I mean, he just happens to be like super mega talented as well, you know. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, I think that's it's like a good development in rap's history. Just that there's like different viewpoints being represented in terms of like you know, like think about the Ramones, and they're basically just like half the songs are just bitching about how some girl broke their heart. <laughs> it's like rap. Rap needs more. I would need like more viewpoints in general. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I grew up. Like I was super into Get Up Kids and Taking Back Sunday. Yeah. Actually, a huge, a huge emo phase that I don't talk about. Yeah, like when I was like sixteen, <laughs> seventeen, new. eighteen. Yeah, I fuck with Brand New. I remember I saw Brand New a couple times in New York too. They were they were amazing. But um, yeah, like I was super into all that. So like Juice World totally just makes sense to me. And I mean, like okay, I was, I was talking to Juice World the other day about like this video that he's working on for this new song, and he's talking about like, oh, I want this scene to be like you know, there's like a girl and she's killing me or like, she's, you know, it's like, he just is like that. Like that's, yeah. he's 100% just like a mouthpiece for, you know, sad ass young, like emo kids, I guess. I mean, he doesn't take offense to anyone calling him emo. He's just, no, yeah. he gets it. Like he, I've talked to him about like, he, he only had girlfriends the whole time I've known him. And I've talked to him about what it was like to be single. And it just sounded like a nightmare. And I'm just like, all right. Yeah. You're, you are that dude. You're a hopeless fucking romantic little 19 year old. Well, it's good that they also are like, bringing that to the forefront for that genre because it is real life shit mm. you know people deal with that all the time so it's it's good to get like an outlet for that for that demographic but uh shout out to juice world because i know he works with the internet money crew and yes they are shout out taz taylor taz is from duval so mm. you know gotta give it gotta give props where props is due i guess me and taz got some big shit on the way oh yeah i saw him um i think it was at your store recently this week or yeah, something. yeah. yeah no right? yeah yeah he was there the other day uh and he's here too although i don't think i've seen him yet yeah Cool. Um, so coming back to Suicide Boys, right? They are going on tour in July with um, Denzel Curry and oh, some that other crazy members. lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The that. Uh, Trash Talk and Turnstile are on mm-hmm. there too, and they're kind of uh, well. Turnstile at least is one of the bigger kind of like hardcore punk bands right now. Right. Um, do you feel like the crossover because Blink One Eighty Two and Lil Wayne are also doing their crazy right. tour? Do you think like we're going to see more of those kind of crossover kind of tours because of festivals? You know, bringing all like the yeah out. i mean i think it's brilliant like from a business perspective and i mean i actually like fascinated to see how those suicide boys shows turn out like how like i don't know it's like i would just be interested to see what the crowd would look like and everything in Probably terms mostly of, suicide boys i would assume yeah like fans of them but i mean you know you got to assume that like the the dedicated like trash talk and turnstile fans are going to come out too it'll just be interesting to see like what the the breakdown is is like in the club i mean that's what i'm always like just fascinated by is just seeing like who goes out to shows like i went to my first icp show the other day and it was in downtown la and there's like so many people there that just were like you know they must have come from far and wide to be at this icp show like it was just wild as fuck to see like what different demographics because i mean going to a show takes a lot of effort it's a very like it's it's not something that happens by accident you have to really go out of your way to get tickets especially the older you get yeah exactly yeah (laughs) 
And I mean, to a lot of people, it's like, this is their, this is the biggest thing they're going to do that week or that month or whatever. And that's why it's always weird for me. Cause I'm just like hanging out sober. And then some kid will come up to me on Molly and he's like <laughs> pawing at me. And he's like, I love your podcast. Man. And I'm just like, all right, got to take a step back. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah that happens a lot. But I no, I think that's so. amazing. They're on tour together, honestly. Yeah. I, I thought when that show was announced, I mean, there were some people obviously on Lamb Goat because, uh, the anonymity that mm. still is on Lamb Goat. A lot of people talk shit. But, you know, um, I think that's really good for, especially bands like Trash Talk. They don't, they don't get like a, so much of a main, mainstream or main stage, you know, outlet. Mm. Turnstile, they're going crazy right now. You know, the last couple of years for them have been fucking nuts, but like Trash Talk, you know, they're old school, not old school hardcore, but they're older. Mm. You know, it's good that they get like the limelight for that, but. I agree. Yeah. It definitely is cool to see. Cause I always, I always associated the hip hop world and the hardcore world together. Like yeah. When I was younger, I wanted gold teeth and fucking shit and I was a front man. So, you know, right. it's all like, I, I felt like a lot of that shit crossed over. But. And I was super enamored with a lot of bands that were, uh, that were early on that. Like I was crazy big Limp Biscuit fan and like yeah. fully recognized that there was like some kind of fusion going on there. And same thing with like, I remember when Cold World came out and they had, they had a fucking Jim Jones like a uh, sample on the intro to mm-hmm. one of their albums because they had told him it was a radio show and they got him to shout out Cold World. And I remember thinking that was so fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, there was like a lot of different bands that I just like, uh, appreciated that sort of were able to bring that together. And I remember, I remember actually like right around the time that I started the BMX website, I remember doing a lot of daydreaming and just thinking it would be amazing if I could do shows the rappers and hardcore bands together because i hadn't really seen that at the time but at the time i didn't know any like i I wasn't into underground rap like that like i was Mm -hmm. listening to wu-tang and gucci and shit and that's what obviously where it stopped in my head is i'm like how the fuck do you book a gucci man show (laughs) never mind how do you book a gucci man show with a hardcore band but i think it's amazing that it's actually kind of coming together and i i think it's just good because like contextualizing them together is going to show kids that they don't have to just be into one thing right fuck with both you know well in these days I hate saying like black culture, but like hip hop culture and everything like that, that basically is pop culture for the last like number of years. You know, anything that's been wildly popular for the most part comes from, you know, black or hip hop culture. So, uh, it's just kind of funny that, you know, historically it's been kind of like frowned upon, Mm. especially in mainstream, you know, they never really, it was very limited, but now with the birth of the internet and just everyone looking at everything and everyone being able to share everything that's that and hardcore in general has started to rise back up like i mean yo hardcore old town road <laughs> yeah it's yeah. coming yeah it's gonna have to happen well i mean they do pop goes punk albums and those fucking hardcore covers but one of them's gonna have to break through and there's just gonna be some fucking could, could you imagine that right now if you just found like the right band to like just break through as a person who kind of works in the music industry now i could that would be fucking crazy mm-hmm. if you could actually find like the right band that was actually willing to sell the fuck out and get songwriters and totally just be a bunch of bitch ass marks, but blow up because of it. <laughs> you know, the fir- I remember the first kind of like cover song ever that I heard from a hardcore band. Throwdown. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm glad that you just, the baby got back. Yeah. One was fucking crazy, yeah. which, you know, and I too was a Limp Bizkit fan because mm. I'm from Jacksonville. So obviously that I grew up like that, but Fred Durst, get at me. I need that interview. Yeah. No. And then us too. Cause <laughs> yes. that's also that's on the goal. Yeah. I, we, we're talking with Sam right now, the bass player. Oh, wow. Yeah, really? so yeah. Hopefully he's going to be getting on soon, but Hell you know, yeah. we'll work our way up. Well, Sam Fred Durst West. manages bones, the rapper. So, oh, okay. or like, I don't know if he hundred percent manages them, but Andre dabbles a lot. He follows two people and bones is one of them. And I, I guess they work together on, on some shit. I don't know. Well, you know, link it up and then yeah, get back with us, Lamgo, because that's something that I definitely, you're on the list. 
Yeah, that's what I'm you saying. You were on the list as well, but obviously. Uh, I'm no Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Depends. I mean, you have way more followers on the internet, I think. Do I? Wow. Probably. I right? feel like he's way more famous. That's like the, the, the follower thing is kind of a lie when it comes to like fame level to like sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah. They might not be following people. I bet he's got some followers. So I know that you probably will start bringing hardcore and metal bands on there and then putting us out of a job, but, um, <laughs> nah. <laughs> which you, have you had any on so far? You, like you just said, you had trailer park Mike or, uh, fucking uh, white trash Rob. Yeah. Trailer park, yeah. <laughs> <Trailer> park <laughs> Mike is another guy. <laughs> Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Trailer park, like that's amazing. No, but um, yeah. I the only ones I've actually done are incendiary and uh, white trash. Rob above for blood. Where I actually went to Salem, Massachusetts, and interviewed him in his little fucking den that he uh, works out of. But um, yeah. No, it would be amazing to get more. Actually, I'm I'm supposed to interview uh, Merle Allen, uh, Gigi Allen's oh, fucking wow. brother soon, which I'm like crazy excited about. And I realize that's kind of a, a deep one. But uh, yeah. I mean, I talked to Terror at a certain point about it. A couple times but i just fucking forgot to actually lock it in but that would be a really good one to get because I, I remember i was listening to terror on their demo that was like a big thing in like yeah. 2001 or two um yeah i don't know i mean i like uh i like doing interviews with with hardcore bands even though it can be kind of uh i don't know it's just such a different like review process and stuff and a lot of times i feel like i'm kind of start like i've had a lot of bands hit me up that i just didn't know anything about and i know that they're pretty popular and stuff but it's like i don't know it's kind of hard for me to like wrap my head around like preparing for an interview with somebody that i don't already know about or like give a shit about it's always kind of like hard for me to make that to bridge that gap so do you how i was gonna ask do you prepare for each guest because i mean like a lot of the people that you have on your podcast are also somewhat unknown Mm. so do you have like a nardwar team that just fucking like fact checks and finds everything or just you no i do my own research like sometimes Sometimes I'll do interviews like every time I interview a porn girl, it's usually just off nothing. I don't know anything about about her beforehand, and or but I mean that feels good when you can do an interview and just like actually learn about the person. Because there's been so many times that I had an interview lined up with somebody and then I just sat down and like started playing video games and like listening to a podcast with them and then by the end of the podcast I was just like holy fuck I don't even want to interview this dude anymore because I feel like I like know everything if you're kind of like a simple person and like you listen to an interview with them and then you're kind of like damn like I don't know where I would go from here and that that can be a dark feeling especially when you're in competition with DJ Vlad who is like the most ridiculous researcher and he just fucking you know he he's gonna find out about the bank robbery before I get a chance to yeah. ask him about it so he's gonna get the bank robbery story you know it's it's, it's always tricky. weird too cause like you don't want to ask the same fucking questions. That's mm-hmm. why, like, we try, at least for Lamb Good, I try to preface when the guests sit down, like, hey, this isn't going to be like a, how's the new album coming? Right. Or, How do you write? I mean, we ask those questions because obviously people would like to know, but the podcast, I think, is better than like a radio spot interview because you can get more about the actual individual or group than, Definitely. you know, to surface level. But it's interesting. You, you actually do a lot of research. And oh, yeah. It's interesting that you say, um, some of the best interviews are my best interviews are the ones I know least about. Mm. Like the first one we did was, uh, Franz from Attila. Right. And I'm not super up to date on like what he does on his daily life or what Attila does in, you know, for their career. Cause they've been around forever, but that podcast felt so easy. And, uh, he was just an interesting guy mm. and I don't know him before that or after that. So it was just a cool, it lasted two hours long, you know, right. next thing you know, he's like, Oh shit. So, but, uh, yeah, that's really cool. No, I definitely, I, I feel that for sure. Like a lot of times 
yeah, sometimes the best people are like when you watch Joe Rogan, I mean, he has this sort of ponderous style where they're just sort of like throwing ideas back and forth where when you and a lot of times it's pretty clear that he doesn't even really know jack shit about the people he's yeah. interviewing, but he's just like having a, a fun conversation with him where he's going to learn something and like, but then on certain things too, it's like, okay, I remember when I had a Wyclef interview lined up and I was just like, trying to wrap my head around it i'm like how the fuck like 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 it's such a big topic i had to watch like at least one or two documentaries and like listen to maybe like at least four or five hours worth of like that was a whole day getting ready for a wyclef yeah. interview that didn't really get that many views because my audience is young as fuck and they don't fucking care about wyclef <laughs> apparently or they don't care about hearing me talk to wyclef maybe but like yeah i mean like i have i have like four interviews on tuesday so I have to fly back Monday, and that's basically my plan is just to try to educate myself about whoever the fuck I'm interviewing, which I, I couldn't even tell you any of them without looking at my schedule right now. But I'm like, I'm gonna have to go from zero to a hundred, like on all these people over the course of Monday to be ready for Tuesday, and then I think I have another interview day Thursday, so I got to do that again probably Wednesday. But I mean, you know, I like it. Like it's just, the interviews just sort of come to me and like. I don't know, some, like all different perspectives that I'm interested in getting. So it's like, I don't, I don't mind doing the research or doing the work. It would be nice to get a research assistant or something at some point, but I'm mm -hmm. not really stressing it. Um, well, if you need more or like if you need guests ideas, mm. we definitely have a couple for you. Oh, that would right. be good crossovers for your audience. <clears throat> that Fron is a good idea. One of those guys, okay. uh, Attila and they just kind of like, that kind of genre of hardcore seems to be more a um, easy crossover because it's more hip hop influenced. I, I would assume like Emir's, you know, Mirror, Jesus, they, Limp Biscuit was a big fucking you know influence for them. Same as Attila and stuff. So shout out to Frankie. Yeah, he's dope. We got some history. Oh, do you? Yeah. Do you have well, beef? No. Okay, because the first interview they like squashed the beef and our video went viral. So that was cool. Emir did. Oh, Emir hit up. Franz, <clears throat> they had a beef door. previously. They had they had been had a beef of oh, something, okay. but that. yeah, they beefed. And then Franz was talking about it on the podcast. Frankie heard about it like the next day, and then tweeted at Franz, and then like every fucking media outlet picked it up. Wow, really? So, yeah, it was good for our first podcast. Damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. So, um, switching it back to something different before we cut you loose here, I got a couple of things that I want to touch on. Uh, you kind of like helped a little pump, like get out into the world here a little bit. Right. Um, but you also did it in a weird way <clears throat> that you, you know, you flew him out and you guys went on like a, a tour, but mm. you were in the van. So a lot of hardcore bands end up doing that. So yes, how, how crazy was that? Just cause I've never been in a rap tour. So I, you know what I mean? I mean, it was absurd. Like, I mean, we just like, I met Lil Pump cause I, I was on vacation with my family out here in West Palm. And, uh, I was like just one, I actually extended my flight by two days because there was an Xavier Wolf show one day and then a little pump show the next day. And I was just, I figured I would want to go to both of them. Um, so I extended my flight and I go to this thing and I meet little pump and he was just showing me love right away. And like all of a sudden we were just buddies and he actually gave me a Xanax, which is weird to say, but he did. And, uh, <laughs> We just went to some house party together and we were just kicking it, smoking and just chilling the whole night. And then when the, the idea came up for the tour, I was just like, yo, pump, smoke, perp, are you guys down to do this? They said, yes. I had like this booking agent working for me at the time who basically like just told us like, yeah, we'll just use like a 15 passenger van. And then like pump and perp show up with 
so many people. Like they, <laughs> they flew like so many fucking people out to go on this tour of them, and a large percentage of them were totally useless. Like they're not on tour with Pump anymore at right. all. Like they haven't talked to Pump in many moons. But uh, yeah, and we just went on that tour. But then like you know, part way through the tour, I realized like oh like. One of the guys that Pump has with him, like, brought some guns that are clearly <laughs> unlicensed. And, like, then that guy performing on stage, opening for Pump, dropped his gun out of his jacket two nights in a row. So that happened. But then also, like, uh, like one of the dudes on tour had, like, robbed this dude for, like, 200 Xanax before he left on the tour, too. So, like, they were just fucking... It was... It, like, I just learned so much about what you don't do when you bring a bunch of rappers right. on tour. And when I think about that tour, I'm like, wow, I'm so happy that nobody died or that nothing really bad happened. Nobody got arrested. Like, Pump kicked a fucking kid's face in, like, from the stage, which would be, you know, thankfully he wouldn't do that moving forward. Was I don't he think. of age at that point? I mean, I know he's like super young. Was he like he was under 18? Yeah. Okay. He was definitely 16. Yeah. <clears throat> he might have been in that much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That's I don't so know. bad, but you know. It was more, more like just getting sued by the, the person would probably have been the thing. But the kid was hyped, honestly. Like he was talking shit and he was like trying to start a fight. But like as a fan, you know, it was right, like right, right. more like a metal type fan thing where it's like you want to like abuse the artist and then you want them to abuse you back. But yeah, I learned a lot on that tour. That's so. cool. I mean, it was cool that you, do you have a question? Oh, it was cool that you guys just kind of like, you know, toughed it out in a van. I mean, you were in hotels, yeah. but <clears throat> a lot of bands in their early days aren't in hotels or sleeping in the van, but it was cool yeah. to see you guys like rough it, sort of speak. Yeah. They weren't super psyched on it. Like I mean, we were staying in like $35 a night hotel rooms and shit too. Like it's pretty funny because by the time, like one of those videos did 20 million views and it's just like, it's just pump, like fucking sleeping in a $35 hotel room with, yeah. and like just hanging out and like getting tattooed in there and shit. And it's just like, it is super punk rock, but I mean, I don't know if I would personally really want to do a tour that was that like, bare bones again especially mm -hmm. just it was just so god i'm just i'm so lucky nothing bad happened <laughs> that was honestly insane thing to do don't want to test it twice huh hell no that was crazy so you vlogged for a while too and uh you were a part of that big movement my one question for that was um <clears throat> you did this one vlog obviously where you were taking acid mm. in the desert or whatnot and you said in the woods by my house in hollywood yeah okay yeah you said that it kind of changed uh your approach to like content and youtube and just like life in general i just kind of wanted to like touch bases on that because i don't know if you do psychedelics or anything mm. like that on a regular basis so i didn't know if that was like a life-changing thing i mean i've only done acid two times in my life and one time i was with this girl who was kind of annoying and we just laid in bed and made out the whole time it was really weird and then uh is that fun to do on acid i have no idea so <laughs> that was just what we ended up doing i'm not saying it, 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 to be honest like i was out in the living room with her and her friends and they were like talking and the conversation was so inane and so stupid that i just found myself like yo this is like like i can't listen to this while i'm rolling or while i'm on acid so at some point i ended up just being like let's go in my room and then i just ended <laughs> up just like hanging out in there because at least then i like just listening to her friend talk maybe want to kill myself i'm like i'm just really like, wasting this drug on this and then uh yeah but you know, the, the the time that i did it on video was like the main time i did it and like it was just a brutal, like, it just forced me to, like, do a lot of introspection on my life and just think about, like, so much and just really try to judge myself from a unbiased standpoint and be like, okay, like, how do you really feel about all these different elements of your life? Like, I know you love yourself, Adam, but let's be real. Like, what, what do you really think about, you know, 
how you've been doing this or how you've been doing that. And it just forced me to really like look at so many different things in my life. Like it sort of made me just decide that I wanted to like, you know, fucking wife up my girlfriend and, uh, stop just fucking every girl I met. <laughs> and like basically made me just want to be like, well, you know, your, your content is this way. Maybe you need to like upgrade your shit. It just really forced me to just really consider everything in my life that I wanted to do. And I made like, a lot of big life changes from that. Like I just, I used to like just live in this like BMX flop house with all my friends. And I was like, you know what? At a certain point, I'm like, I'm getting out of here. Like because of that, like it just right, forced right. me to kind of look at myself and be like, dude, you're 30. Like you don't need to be like living yeah. with all the little homies anymore. You can yeah. afford to get your own place. That is, it's crazy. Although, I mean, like, you know, it's good that it, it's, it turned out good for you, obviously. Cause you know, even though you might be uh, in a relationship and you might just be holding it down with one lady, mm. you get to, play around oh, right, so, yeah. the, so to speak but yeah because you're probably the first person i've interviewed that i've actually probably accidentally scrolling mm. on twitter and seen some some parts of you that i probably wish i hadn't but you know it is lot. what it is you know i hear that a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you like to read you're a big reader to a extent probably more previously in my life my life is so fast-paced now that it's kind of like hard to find time but yeah i definitely read on the flights and shit for sure yeah i was gonna ask like how you make time for reading in general because I, I assume you're just kind of busy with all your you know i try to prioritize it just because i think there's a lot of value in like slowing down and like spending some time where you're not thinking about yourself which is like a big thing is that when you're like constantly as a youtuber you know, you're constantly making content that to whatever degree is sort of about yourself and it's nice to just take a couple hours and like separate yourself from that and try to like indulge in you know some historical figure or something like that and mm-hmm. it's just very like I feel like I need practice in that, like just to be a, a practice of, of removing myself from my own mind and like being able to actually focus on somebody else just because it, it can be hard to like, you know, every day when I wake up and make YouTube videos, it's just kind of like, it's, you're just constantly on this treadmill of thinking about yourself and how you're being perceived. Mm-hmm. And it's like reading a book about somebody else is probably the, one of the more selfless things that you could do. It doesn't have anything to do with yourself. So it's like, I think that is a big part of why I find a lot of value in reading. You read a lot of, um, like bio yeah. biographies and autobiographies is that like your main forte or yeah at this point in my life just because i feel like you know i went I've, I, I go through phases with books but like early on like you know i just i feel like i read every business book that i was ever going to get anything out of and at a certain point it's like just i started just would gravitate towards more just like telling people stories and stuff and that's a problem too though because it's like if i start reading a biography it's like I just get so hyped up. Like I'm, I read a uh, Phil Knight's book about like, starting Nike and shit. And it was wow. just like, I'm, I was having such a hard time sitting through reading it because I just, I'm getting so fucking hyped up to like do more business wise. Cause I'm reading about all the shit that he did and right. how unhappy or not unhappy, but how uh, unsatisfied he was with his like early success. And so like, just making me look at myself and being like, bro, like, why are you getting complacent? Like you need to fucking go harder. You know? Yeah. Well, that's also good. So I'll, I'm going to, Cut to a couple of uh, Alex's questions, and then we'll kind of cut you loose. What's here. up, Alex? <laughs> so he has a list of questions I wish I could get to, but anyway, we're gonna move on. The internet says you're worth 1.5 million. Is that figure high or low? Um, I just wouldn't even want to comment. But okay. I would say that 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 figure is just like it's weird because okay, like I said, you're something. worth. It's not like your bank account. Right. I said something about Nicki Minaj, and uh somebody was just like, "Well, Nicki Minaj is worth eighty million dollars, and you're only worth one point five million dollars." And I'm like, "Oh," and she like put a screenshot <laughs> of it. I'm like, "Wow, that's such a weird thing to be attacked with." Like you know, my whole that sucks for me. My whole life, I would have thought that one point five million dollars was a lot of money, but here <laughs> here you are attacking me for it because Nicki Minaj has more than me. Okay, cool, but. Yeah, I mean, whatever. What stresses you out? 
what stresses me out just inefficiency in general like just the fact that my machine is not as well oiled as it should be you know it's like that's like and really like and yeah that's the stressful part is just the fact that i don't have the entire machine completely tuned in because i would love to have it where i could just do an interview and then it just that interview goes into a system and then it comes out at the end and like here it is and it's it's everything is done but i have to like concern myself with like you know telling the graphic designer to get a better yeah. photo or telling, you know, like, Hey, we need this, this title sucks. This video wasn't like this, you know, it's like, I just want everything to be running smoothly so I can put all my effort into just doing interviews. But you know, it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> so lightning round, I just, uh, Alex likes to do a lightning round. I, where I name a band and you just give me your first thoughts of it mm. right off the bat. Some of these we've already talked about, so mm. it shouldn't be that hard. Uh, sick of it all. Sick of it all. You know, I listen to them, but like I can primarily blame BMG Music Club or whatever because I was just getting whatever hardcore records I could. Yeah, but they were tight. American Nightmare. American Nightmare. Like when I said Suicide File, that was like shorthand for Suicide File and American Nightmare because I felt like they were like the two kings of that moment in Boston hardcore. And yeah, they were they're amazing. I love them. Have heart. Have heart. Super, super good. But I mean, I, uh, for me, have heart. This is like the super cliche hardcore thing to say is like, I listened to their demo and then kind of like wasn't super tuned in after that because they were like just a local band when I was like 19. Mm -hmm. And then it was just insane to see them get ridiculously huge. Terror. Terror. Yeah. I mean, I just love terror and like being living in LA for all this time, I now like appreciate terror on like a cultural level as well. Just like, so you can like tell what kind of dudes those are and like mm -hmm. what world they're coming from. So I appreciate it even more. I think one thing I found out interesting about terror, I, I want to say it was terror. Keith was talking about being on tour with them and just smoking mad weed with them. And that was kind of like, huh, really yeah. Scott Vogel's getting high. I don't know. It might, I have to fucking check back on that. I don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure he said terror. I need to do that. That's sick. maybe with someone else. I don't know, but it, it, I want to say terror. Okay, uh, Earth Crisis. Oh wow, Earth Crisis face tattoo. Earth <laughs> Crisis. I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, yeah, Earth Crisis were huge for me. I mean, I wasted years of my life not eating meat on Earth Crisis, dude. What oh, wow. the fuck was I doing, letting them fuck my whole life up like that, man? That shit sucked. Like, I, in retrospect, yeah, like a lot of PETA videos in the eat, hardcore. Yeah, world. eat protein. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. What about Converge? Conver oh my god, Converge Metal Fest 2003, I think. Most violence I've ever seen in my life. Well, I guess now I've like seen people get shot and shit, but like you know, I, I, I just have never seen that many fights in one place ever. Converge, like the best soundtrack for it ever. Yeah, they're a crazy band, and it's cool that they've been doing their thing for thus long, and they're still current or still yeah. relevant. That is crazy, man. Yeah, I was, I was fascinated by them. Bands. A lot of these bands that I grew up listening to when I was like 16 to 20. Right. I never fucking thought that I'd, they'd, they'd still be listening because I'd still be listening to them because they were just so, it's it just, just seemed like a, such a small culture then. And it's just insane to think that like in hardcore, you have this like, you know, multiple decade like path towards success. Like the incendiary is one of my favorite like hardcore bands I'm friends with, but like I saw them start out and then like 10 years later, it feels like they're just sort of like, getting to this like real Captain level of respect and shit you know where they're actually like big names and converge it's like it's crazy that that could still be the case with them because a lot of times a rap it feels like you like are just you, you either blow up or you don't yeah. and it's like there's there's really no place for like just working your ass off for 10 years i mean a lot of people it is that is exactly how they get successful but it's not really the version of success in rap that people talk about so much um well i guess to wrap it up what do you you still listen 
every now and then it seems like are you listening to any kind of newer hardcore or metalcore bands or anything like that? no i put on blood for blood time to time that's like you know if i if i find myself in like a hardcore mood i'm gonna put on blood for blood i'm gonna put on chain of strength or use it today or you know maybe minor threat but actually i'm gonna be real with you it's like if i'm in a hardcore mood at this point i'm probably gonna listen to like the descendants of gorilla biscuits okay that's kind of like okay a little bit closer to like what my mind just automatically goes to like my girlfriend is not familiar with much uh, guitar-based music, but has had to listen <laughs> to The Descendants enough that she's kind of like, she's a little bit tapped in. She hates the screamy music, as she likes mm. to put it, you know? Well, Blood for Blood was one of the bands that he wanted to do lightning around with, but you talked enough about them, so yeah. I left him off. But uh, No, but that, that's a good point, though. If I were to play screamy music around my girlfriend, then I would get a lot of complaints, yeah. <laughs> yeah I do, so I get it, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But um, all right, man. Well, it was great having you on. I have, like fucking a million other things to ask you but mm. hopefully we can get you know sit down again at a later date and do it again yeah, fuck it but yeah man i appreciate it and uh anything you want to say before you dip out um youtube.com slash no jumper shout out to all the lamb goat heads out there uh yeah just don't go easy on me i just want to see really just rip me to shreds in the comments that's all i'm saying shreds, yeah by yeah. all means i hope they rip you to shreds just I, know that i'm gonna take it in stride <laughs> that's what i try to tell them I, it doesn't yeah. hurt my feelings I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm i knew full well what lamb goat was before stepping into this fold oh, but all right it was great man i appreciate it appreciate you, you man thank you so much Thanks i got distracted because there's like a boat oh, with yeah, a massive tv on it out there floating along in the water yeah this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week i'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing recording and release of one iconic song from their career in our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurewitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.